Every four years, the greatest competition on Earth brings people together the world over. I should say, the Olympic Village is just one of the most surreal experiences. And you're surrounded by highly ambitious people. Coronavirus seems to be stopping all but one major sporting competition. This crisis is bigger than the Olympics. We don't know what's happening in the next 24 hours, let alone the next three months. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the virus, part five, an Olympic-sized problem. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I played in table tennis, and so the Olympics, like in many sports, to be fair, it was the absolute high point. Matthew Saeed used to be Team GB's top table tennis player. These days, he swapped the paddle for the pen and is a columnist for The Times and The Sunday Times. He joined me from his home via Skype. It was the thing that we focused on, and four years were really preparation for the big day when you would arrive, in my case, in Barcelona in 92 and then in Sydney in 2000. Everything was geared up for it. Your psychology was calibrated to peaking on the big day, and it was almost like a companion with you, minute by minute, because you could think of very little else. It was very difficult to switch off, particularly in the months leading up to it. What do you remember most about walking out at, at the start of one of those Olympic Games? Well, I had two very different experiences. Barcelona, I had a pretty good time. I was an underdog. I had two very good victories against the Egyptian champion and against uh, one of the very top French players before losing to the then world champion in a very tight contest where I had a small chance of beating him. And I have very happy memories of Barcelona. Came back with a spring in my step. I was at Oxford University at the time. Very upbeat about the whole thing. Good morning from Sydney. Seven years ago, the Olympic Games were awarded to this spectacular city. Now the waiting is over. It's opening night for the greatest show on earth. In Sydney in 2000, I was a medal contender. I was pretty much at the peak of my game. And I got very nervous when I went out to play in my opening match against a German called Peter Franz. Uh, managed to miss the table with my second shot by about two yards. And the term we use in sport is choking. I choked. I basically had an attack of nerve. I panicked and completely messed up. I was out of the competition after a four-year build-up in about 30 minutes. And funnily enough, 12 years after that, in the build-up to the London Olympics, you might remember that one of the big news stories was whether our Olympians 
who we knew were very talented athletes and with a good chance, but would they be able to cope with the unique pressure of playing in a home Olympics for the one and only time? And the BBC One show got in touch and said, Matthew, we're doing a feature on the tendency people have to choke under pressure. Would you front it for us? <laughs> but let me tell you, when I got knocked out, I remember getting in the coach to go back to the athlete's village in Sydney and phoning British Airways and changing my ticket just to get out of there because I was absolutely devastated. And how did it feel having trained for four years, thinking, that's it, it's all over? I mean, it took a serious amount of time to get over. It, it felt almost like a bereavement because you have this ambition that you cherish and you nurture and it's an all-encompassing thing. You have to be slightly, perhaps the word isn't quite right, but there needs to be a tiny bit of insanity, I think, to commit so completely to a game of hitting a white plastic wall over a net for as long as one does. And so it was extremely difficult. But as I say, I think all sports people have to learn to transition at some point from the thing that has defined their life. And I did ultimately transition, I'm glad to say, and, and got into writing and journalism, which I have to say, writing about sport is not a perfect substitute for competing, but it's the next best thing. The International Olympic Committee has once again stated this summer's Games in Tokyo will go ahead despite the pandemic. Athletes have been told to continue their preparations as the IOC says there's no need for drastic decisions. The biggest sporting event in the world, the Olympic Games bring together athletes from over 200 countries competing in more than 30 sports. It truly is a global event. But with the threat of coronavirus looming over the summer, Many have called for the Games to be cancelled. The Olympics should at the very least be saying we should postpone or indeed we should just cancel at this stage. Matthew Pinsent, the British Olympic gold medalist, told the BBC's Today programme the Games had to be cancelled. But Lord Coe, the organiser of the 2012 London Olympics and the current president of the International Association of Athletics Federations, took a more measured view. Everybody wants clarity, that's not unreasonable. But, you know, no sporting organisation, certainly not athletics, is in the mood to put athletes in danger. A cancellation is incredibly rare. In fact, since the modern Olympic Games began in 1896, they've only been cancelled three times, and even then, only for world wars. But remember, you know, in ancient Olympia, in the ancient Greek civilization, the Olympic Games took place for over a thousand years without a single interruption. Wow. Despite the war in Greek city-states, the Olympics, I mean, there was Olympic truce so that they weren't supposed to fight during the Olympic Games itself. But it was a cultural phenomenon back then. People from you know, Plato to Sophocles to Aristotle, they would go and watch and love it. And you know, some of the lyric poets wrote beautifully about the Olympic Games and the, and the sheer joy of witnessing feats of extraordinary human athleticism. That's such a beautiful description. I mean, what do you say to people who don't understand how important the Olympics are? How do you how do you explain the, the sheer love of them? Well, I, I, I get used to it a bit because people often say to me, you know, what, what are you doing spending a career writing about sport? These things are trivial. And, and in a, to a point, they're right. I mean, right now we are, I think, probably as aware as we ever will be that health is more important than anything else. But nevertheless, I find it very interesting that, you know, we go to work to earn money, to take care of our material needs and look after our families, which is an entirely good thing to do. But when we have free time, 
many of us, many hundreds of thousands every weekend go to football stadiums to watch football. We go out into the park and we go for a run or we play a bit of tennis. There's a very good philosopher whose name escapes me for the moment who talks about certain things have instrumental value like work. We work in order to get money to do the things we want to do. I mean, that's not to say we don't get intrinsic enjoyment from work. I certainly do if any of my editors are listening. Um, (laughs) However, sport has pure intrinsic value. We do it for its own sake. And the reason we do it for its own sake is it elevates our lives in some elusive way, but some significant way. And I think many people will miss it while it's away. So actually, it's probably just the moment when the world does need the Olympics. Yeah, I think we need sport. I think we do. We are a social species. Sport is quintessentially social. It may seem like an antisocial activity. You're trying to beat your opponent, but at root, you are collaborating with your opponent in an agreed set of rules and a whole set of quite complex rituals in order to extract enjoyment and meaning. And I think we will miss these, these social activities. Athletes from across the world have been voicing their concerns about the possibility of the Games going ahead and the current restrictions on their ability to prepare for them. From an athlete perspective, I can only imagine and try to empathise with the anxiety and heartbreak athletes are feeling right now. Hayley Wickenheiser won four Olympic gold medals playing ice hockey for Canada. She's now a member of the International Olympic Committee and she's been raising her concerns. The uncertainty of not knowing where you're going to train tomorrow as facilities close and qualification events are cancelled all over the world would be terrible if you've been training your whole life for this. Everyone looks forward to an Olympics. Fans, athletes, the media, TV audience, the sponsors and marketers. It's the biggest sporting event in the world. It would be a wonderful thing to look forward to. But this crisis is bigger than the Olympics. Athletes can't train. Athletes and attendees can't travel plan. Sponsors and marketers can't market with any degree of sensitivity. I think that the IOC insisting that this will move ahead with such conviction is insensitive and irresponsible given the state of humanity. We don't know what's happening in the next 24 hours, let alone the next three months. We need to proceed with humility, compassion, and empathy towards the world's situation and then decide on the Olympic Games from there. Are you surprised that so far the Olympic Association and Japan haven't ruled out carrying on as normal? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I can see from some of the news reports right now that uh, some sports people are saying this seems irresponsible. I mean, one of the aspects of the Olympics is a very social thing. It's not just a sport. It brings disparate communities from all around the world together, which is probably the last thing we want to happen at this moment. I, I'll be sad to see it postponed, but I think it should be. You've been in many an Olympic village, but I mean, that really is a, a completely international crowd. It's more than the sporting events. You know, it's a, almost a carnival atmosphere. Is that part of, do you think that's one of the reasons they're not calling it off yet? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, is it a huge intricately interconnected event with so many different aspects as you say the sponsorship the tv scheduling we've talked already about the athletes and their calibrated build-up fans who have booked tickets and hotels and all the rest of it so there's all sorts of things going on at the same time and it's also worth saying you know it's, it's a joyful occasion 
the Olympic Village is just one of the most surreal experiences to be in the Olympic Village. Tell us what it's like. It's a security cordoned geographical area, a relatively small area where the athletes from all of the nations of the world live for the duration of the Olympic Games. And coaches can get in with them, obviously, but nobody else. And you have your restaurants in there. In Barcelona, there was a private beach. And you're surrounded by highly ambitious people, lots of testosterone, huge amount of pent-up emotion. And I'm not sure whether we're after the watershed, but a lot of interesting things happen when you get a lot of young people um, hang on tell us more about that i did once write a piece in the times about this and it sort of went viral and uh, I, I want you to use your imagination people <laughs> you know play their competitions they're either celebrating or they're commiserating and then there's a big party i'll, I'll, I'll leave it like that and from your description it sounds like in the run-up to the olympics you know there's a hell of a lot of training but also there's a psychological build-up which is as important. How do you think the athletes must be affected now, you know, having worked for it for four years, being almost there and not knowing if it's going to happen? I think the uncertainty will be difficult. I mean, I think most of them may be factoring in at least a, a postponement of some kind. But yes, you're right. It's a highly meticulous strategy to peak on the right day, the way you train, your diet, uh, sparring partners, physiology, and as you say, psychology. You want to make sure that you're at the absolute peak of your condition at the right moment. And so it will take a great deal of replanning um, once they get the new date, if a new date comes along. Presumably a lot of athletes at the moment must be having to work out how to train in isolation. How do you think that works? That's an interesting question, actually, because that will vary a great deal sport by sport. So in a sport like a long distance running, I don't think it will make a huge difference. People do run with partners, but that's in the open air often, and there'll be a sufficient distance for them to be able to continue doing so. They may well have a coach that they discuss their training with, but again, I think that could be done remotely or with some distance. But in a sport like table tennis, particularly in doubles table tennis, it's very intimate. So you play alongside a partner who is in very close proximity for a very long period of time, and your opponents are relatively nearby. Team sports bring people together in a significant way. And those sports like uh, football and hockey and the like, they're very much about the interaction. Even if you trained on your own, much of how well a team performs is whether or not the pass that you're planning to make has a teammate running onto it at the right time. These are highly holistic and highly recursive. So training in isolation is not impossible, but it is not terribly effective either. How do you think that's going to disrupt the entire process? I mean, whenever the Olympics do happen, presumably there'll have been a long period when no training was possible. Yeah, I guess at this very moment, particularly the team sport coaches will be thinking very carefully about how they can ensure. I mean, obviously, the physical fitness of the athletes is something that can be topped up. But when it comes to the interactive aspect, that will be disrupted uh, for some time. And that I can't think of any really sensible ways to address it, except for the fact that all the other teams will be in the same position. 
Are you glad you're not competing in these games? Am I glad I'm not competing in these games? Well, I'm 49, so <laughs> if I was competing, I would be in serious trouble. And I haven't picked up a table in this match for at least a year. If, on the other hand, I was 25 in the peak of my career and I was honed, then I think I'd probably take that, even if I had to take a year's delay. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Good afternoon. Euro 2020 has been postponed until next summer because of coronavirus. The European football governing body, UEFA, say they'll hope it will help domestic leagues across Europe complete seasons if and when football returns. The Premiership Rugby Cup final between Harlequins and Sale will also not go ahead tomorrow either. The Golf Masters, due to start at Augusta National on the 9th of April, has been postponed. It's the competition's first postponement since World War II. It's not just the Olympics that are struggling with the continued threat of the coronavirus. The Six Nations rugby competition has been postponed, probably until October. The French Open tennis, until September. And there are a number of legal challenges being prepared by some English football clubs who fear that the season will be declared null and void. The Football Association have announced that all elite football matches are being postponed until the 30th of April. So are there any sports safe from the virus? Well, the short answer to that is most sport, most high-level sport is now off. And most big competitions are either cancelled, postponed or in serious jeopardy. So it's going to be a fascinating time, I think, for the sporting community, both people who watch sports as live spectators, television viewers, athletes who have been preparing for big competitions, 
even community sport is beginning to fragment. I'm a member of a local tennis club here in southwest London. We can no longer play at the club. I know that a lot of table tennis clubs, which is my former sport, have stopped operating. And my sense is that sport is a massive cultural institution. It offers wonderful escapism from the seriousness of modern life. And we probably need a bit of escapism now more than ever. But that particular route of escape has now pretty much, and for the foreseeable future, I fear, closed off. What responsibility do you think the governing bodies have towards athletes? I think Wayne Rooney accused the governing bodies of using football as like guinea pigs. Yeah, well, in his Sunday Times column, yeah, I think he did. So his point really was that the Premier League should have shut down a bit earlier. Yeah, I'm sort of get what he's saying. I'm also sympathetic to the Premier League. I think, as I remember it, at the time, the scientific advice was that these large open-air events like football are not significant in the spread of the contagion. But then there were footballers who were beginning to become infected and managers who are becoming infected. So I think they took the position at that point. So I think I'm broadly sympathetic both to Rooney and to the governing body. Does it make it a particularly hard time to be a sports journalist? Well, that that, uh, may offer a tiny bit of light relief because we're now having to think very strategically about how to write interestingly about sport with no live sport to report on. Um, So I think this is a major challenge that uh, I don't envy the sports editor of the Times and the Sunday Times. It's going to be tough. But I think we will be able to do some interesting things, probably have rather fewer pages but you're absolutely right. The drumbeat of sports journalism is the, the reporting of action. But there will be other things to focus on. And one thing I would like to see is perhaps a look at some of the community clubs, which sadly many are closed at the moment, but that will re-emerge. Because these are part of the glue, I think, that holds societies together. Will you miss other elements of sport? I mean, just the act of doing it and what it does to your mood. Will you miss that in isolation? Yeah, well, I went for a walk in Richmond Park today with my wife. I think it's great to get out into the fresh air. And I did notice a lot of people running more than you would see on a typical working day. I think a lot of people are breaking the cabin fever by going for a long run. It's a wonderful release. I mean, that's a phenomenon in our most societies is that the the pleasure people get from running i am playing tennis tomorrow morning at the public courts tennis i think you can do quite safely um except when we're both at the net this is quite rare we're both baseliners so i think some sport will continue the tennis club has shut down because it's got a big it's got a kind of a a hut where people will socialize after tennis and that now is shut but the, the public courts i think will continue and i hope they do continue how do you think it'll affect society at large? I mean, you know, there won't be matches at the weekend that people can come together to watch. And as you've said, even sort of community clubs are closing at the moment. What effect do you think that has on sort of the psyche of the nation and also sort of our ability to cope with pressure? Well, well I hope very much that we will see a spontaneous emergence. I mean, we've seen some of it already of other types of community activity. So where I live, in my neighbourhood, there's quite a lot of older people. And we're now in a an email exchange where people are asking others on the street to help out. And I think there's a sense of intimacy between us that perhaps hasn't existed for many years because of the crisis. So I think one of the possible ironies of social distancing is it will bring us closer together emotionally. Certainly certain communities, I think, will experience that. Others perhaps won't. But I do think it's an opportunity to 
show some of our, our stronger qualities as a species. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times and Sunday Times' own Olympian, Matthew Saeed. You can read more of Matthew's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers today were Ben Mitchell and Edward Drummond. The executive producer was Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer, Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. In these uncertain times, it's more important than ever to be well informed. With a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.